This is the day that the Lord hath made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's my blessed privilege and honor to be with you all, and especially with my great friend Richard uh, DuBois, and he did invite me, and we have just built a wonderful relationship, and I'm privileged to be here and thankful that you're here with me, as this is the day that the Lord hath made, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. Would you just bow with me uh, for just a word of prayer? Every sermon needs prayer, and so if you would just close your eyes and bow your heads. God, we thank you for this blessed privilege, a wonderful and a beautiful day that thou hast made. We ask now that in the beauty of all this worship, the music, the fellowship, the wonderful relationships, that you might now allow for the preaching moment. God, if you don't speak, there's nothing the preacher can say. If you don't move, there's nothing the preacher can do. God, you get the glory because what we are after is a blessing. We thank you now and we bless you in Christ's name. And let the church say amen and amen. The text for this morning is found in the book of Psalm. Psalms 139, 7 through 18. And it reads like this. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the many seas. And when I awake, I am still with you. Howard Thurman, the prolific African-American preacher and mystic, lived to be 81 years old and prayed this 139th Psalm every day of his adult life. Could you pray this 139th Psalm every day of your adult life? Could you pray any scripture or prayer every day you get up for your entire adult life? Now, we might all pray scripture for the rest of our lives, but the same scripture? He prayed this 139th Psalm every day of his adult life. He called this 139th chapter of the book of Psalms the Great Passage. He said that if the entire Bible would be destroyed and he could only have one chapter, it would be the 139th Psalm. He even wrote a poem for every line of this psalm. A whole poem for every line of all the verses of the 139th Psalm. How could he pray this psalm every day except, <clears throat> excuse me, I was fine this morning when I got up. Wasn't I fine when I walked in here? 
I know, you know, many of y'all don't believe in some of the spiritual forces that oppose you, but I'm telling you, something is opposing me right now. I called my wife this morning. We were just, everything was fine. <laughs> How could he pray this 139th Psalm every day except that he found within the boundaries of this text the presence of God speaking illuminating revelation on a daily basis? How could he do that except this psalm gave him access to a limitless ocean of hope? The very voice of God speaking the thoughts of God, feeding him the words of life. How could he pray this same psalm every day of his adult life except it be the fulfillment of what Jesus said, quoting the Hebrew Bible, that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Give us this day our daily bread, not just physical food, but give us, God, the spiritual food that we need for this day. How could he pray this same 139th Psalm every day of his adult life except that it speaks the very thoughts of God or allows one to contemplate the truth of God? Or is God communicating God's wisdom and God's thoughts every day? No wonder he could say, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count your thoughts from one psalm, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the many seas. Maybe he could pray it because this Psalm 139 presents God as the all-knowing God. God knows us and God knows us completely. The Hebrew to know appears seven times quickly in this 139th chapter. You know me. You know me when. You know it completely. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. God knows our thoughts. God knows our actions. God knows us in our mother's womb. God knows our thoughts before we speak them. God knows our thoughts before we think them. God knows us. God knows us. God knows us. God knows us. The beauty of God knowing us is that it is relational and not judgmental. God knows us in relationship and not singularly in judgment. God knows us, and even if there is judgment, there is a return. A moment will be offered to us to restore right relationship. God knows us to bestow favor and revelation. God's thoughts are God's revelation. God knows us to reveal God's wisdom and God's truth to us. The psalmist therefore says, how precious to me are your revelations, O God. How, how vast is the sum of them. If I were to try to count your thoughts, your revelations, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the many seas. In the manner of Howard Thurman, 
let me recite this text, this 139th Psalm that you and I are probably so familiar with. God, you have searched me and you know me. You know me when I sit and you know me when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. Where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? If I make my bed up in the heavens, thou art there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're still there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Even there your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and that I know right well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your books before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to try to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the many seas. How vast. How awesome, how great, how numerous, how profound, how deep, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. I wonder if we have ever taken the time to say to God, how precious are your thoughts, how vast is your revelation. If I were to count them, they would outnumber. I wonder if we've ever said that. Uh, or stopped there or paid enough attention in this chapter 139th of Psalms to this 17th and this 18th verse. I wonder if we have the humility to appreciate the thoughts of God. Yes, the humility. I did say that. So what do I mean by the humility? Well, let me give you an example about what, what I mean by humility. No matter how profound I think my paper is or how deep my sermon is or how awesome my latest book or how weighty my most academic and spiritual insights, I hate to break this to myself, but I, I, I am simply handling one grain of sand. Of an endless 
number of the thoughts of God. We have wonderful music this morning, and sometimes our music is so majestic. We've had wonderful teachers who have given us insight and wisdom. We had Sunday school teachers and Bible teachers who opened to us the Word of God. And it is humbling to realize that no matter how great the last piece of music we performed, it was simply one grain of sand on a limitless seashore of the thoughts of God. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. If I were to number them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. You see, I just backed into my first point. No matter how insightful you think your wisdom is in reference to God. You are simply handling one little grain of sand on an endless seashore of the thoughts, the revelation, and the wisdom of God. Second, I want you to realize that we could, in fact, spend one lifetime on one grain of sand. You see, in one grain of sand is a microcosmos constituted by millions and millions and millions of atoms, protons, and neutrons. An infinity uh, uh, and a universe of infinity in and of itself. To give you a... Excuse me. To give you a sense of the cosmos, that is one grain of sand, let's look at the atoms in one grain of salt. One grain of sand, one grain of salt, they're about the same size. Let's suppose that we want to count all the atoms in a single grain of salt, and let's assume that we are able to count one billion atoms per second. Despite our considerable speed, We would need over 500 years to count the number of atoms inside a tiny grain of salt. You missed that. Let's suppose that we want to count all the atoms in a single grain of salt. And let's assume that we're able to count 1 billion atoms per second. Despite our considerable speed, we would need over 500 years to count the atoms inside one tiny grain of salt. Thank you so much. (laughs) See, if you didn't get it, I was going to do it again. (laughs) See, what folks don't realize, we say this all the time, that amen speed the sermon up. (laughs) If you want to get out of here before lunch. (laughs) Despite its exceedingly small size, there is a flawless, unique, and complex system inside the atom comparable in sophistication to the system that we see exterior in the universe. The same complexity that you see when you look out at the sky and see the stars. That same complexity that is out there is inside one itty-bitty tiny atom that if you could count them, 
at one billion atoms per second, it would take you 500 years to count. I want to argue, I want to argue (laughs) that Scripture is so complex that you could spend 500 years at one billion insights per second to count the insights and the revelation from God from one verse. It might explain then how Furman could pray the same psalm every day for the rest of his life and how we might could pray one verse of Scripture for the rest of our lives. It might explain why all these scholars and all these theologians exploring for upon generation upon generations, all of our books and all of our dissertations, all of our sermons, all of our thoughts, all of our meditations, all of our libraries, all of our reflections from generation to generation are simply one atom and one grain of sand on the limitless seashore of the thoughts of God. Oh God, how precious are your thoughts to me. If I were to try to to count them, they would outnumber the sands of sea, Grains of sand on many seas. And then thirdly, one verse, just one verse can save the world. One grain can save a life. One grain can save a soul. One grain can save a home. One grain can save a community. One grain can save a world. With one grain, we offer hope to the hopeless. With one grain of sand, one verse, we offer a friend to the friendless. One grain can stop a war. One grain can overcome a hurt. One grain can cancel the sting of death. One grain can rescue the lost. One grain can give sight to the blind, make deaf folk hear, make lame folk leap for joy. One grain can feed the world. One grain can remove the deterioration of our common home. One verse can finally resolve the long shadow of racism from human relationships. One verse can bring every kind of justice you can name. One verse They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. One verse. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercy never comes to an end. This new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. One verse. God was in Christ reconciling the world such that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. One verse, for God so loved the world that God gave the only begotten Son that whosoever believeth should not perish but have everlasting life. One verse, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them They would outnumber the grains of sand on the many seas. I want to go back to Thurman. He said this verse represented to him hope. He said that hope meant 
that the dichotomies and the contradictions of life are not final. He said that one day we will know the ultimate destiny of everything is wholeness and we would become aware of what he called a congenital unity. That in God, all people and all things are one. He said this 139th Psalm gave him hope and courage in the great contradictions of life. He said this was the great passage. And if he could only have one chapter of the Bible, he said it was the ground of his hope. It gave him courage in the most abject contradictions and dualisms of life. He then explained the original meaning to the word hope. He said that hope was an inlet that connects the lagoon to the ocean such that the lagoon could have free and easy access to the resources of the ocean and the ocean could always touch the lagoon. One verse is hope. It's an inlet that allows the lagoon of your soul access to the limitless ocean of hope that is God. One verse is an inlet to God's presence. One verse is God's ability to touch your life in a space and place, and fill you with the richest of God's resources for strength and love and peace and wholeness, even in the most abject contradictions and dualisms in the lagoon. That one verse of Scripture, one verse, represents hope. Oh, I like this. Why? Why? Why do I like this? I like this because we think we have to know the whole Bible. And it gives me great joy just to know one verse. (laughs) You don't have to know the whole Bible. You just can know one verse. (laughs) One verse has infinite possibility. One verse can save you. One verse can change your life. One verse can change your direction. One day, one verse can give you courage and strength and enlightenment and laughter and love and beauty. One verse. So what I want to ask is do you have one verse? What's your? Now you may have many verses. But what is that one verse that represents an inlet that gives you access to the lagoon? Ah, the lagoon gets access to the ocean of... What's your one verse? You may be here and and you only know one verse. I ain't mad at you because, you know, uh, you know... you know, you know how you know how you be in, 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 in Sunday school and you only know one verse so you don't talk the whole time because you don't think you're a Bible scholar like the rest of everybody else. You don't have to be intimidated. No, no, no. One verse can save you. <laughs> one verse can change your life. All you need to know is what's your one verse? Do you have one verse? I know you do. 
if I had time to pass the microphone around, I'd take this and we'd all hear each other's one verse. That would make service unusually long, so I don't have that kind of time. So what I want to do is ask you for something. I wonder in the midst of this worship service, you're you're sitting next to somebody. And I know you probably think that it's an accidental choice that you, you know, are sitting next to who you're sitting next to. I don't think it's accidental at all. I think before the world began, God knew that you'd be sitting who you're sitting next to. And so I'm going to ask you in just a few seconds to turn to the person that you're sitting next to And I want you to share with them your one verse. And then I want you to listen as they share their one verse. And I want you to get excited and fired up because all it takes is one verse. That's an amazing piece of grace. I know you think you got to go to Bible college and maybe you should. I know you think you should go, you know, I think you go to seminary. I know know you think, you know, you're feeling intimidated. I I understand. Maybe you should go to seminary. I don't know. But you don't have that one verse. If you've got one verse... So can you, would that take us too far out of our comfort zone this morning just to, all right, so I want you to to turn to your neighbor and I want you to tell them 